So the seasons of the spiritual life, we begin with simplicity. It's where we all begin. It's the season where we reach out to God in happiness. It's the season of discovery. It's, it's you're learning things for the first time. And as such, everything's kind of black and white. Everything is either this or that. And we focused on the words here, thanks, and oh, which is a, another way of saying uh, kind of wonder and worship. And then we move into the season of complexity. It's when we reach out to God and struggle. It's when all the things that we begin to build in simplicity are met with the realities of life and we start to wrestle with things. We start to struggle with things. The, the black and whites start merging together at places and we realize maybe it's not so cut and dry and simple. Maybe this is really, really a complex thing we're a part of. And we looked at the words sorry, help, and please. And that continues into the season of perplexity, which we've kind of uh, connected to this experience many of us have had of unraveling and deconstruction, where our faith sort of just, you can use lots of metaphors. It goes off the rails. Um, we have way more questions than answers. We, we are struggling with what we believe and if, whether we believe. And that's the season of perplexity. And in that season, we talked about when, no, and why, these words that are shaped in us during that season. And then last week, Tiffany moved us into the season of harmony. It's a season, by the way, it's, it's not, harmony is not simplicity 2.0. It, it, harmony is not, well, we've been through all of this stuff and now we come out the other side and we're all good. And we have no more questions. All of the questions have been answered. All of the perplexity has been solved. And now we're just back at a new simplicity. Um, it, it's not, it doesn't go like that. We talked a couple weeks ago about uh, Walter Brueggemann's orientation, disorientation, new orientation, not, not reorientation, not going back to orientation, but a new orientation. So we might say that harmony is when we learn this, this skill of transcending and including. It's when we have um, uh, this new orientation that is ever expanding, that we aren't going back somewhere, that everything we bring with us has been shaped by all the other seasons and experiences of life. Because if you have gone through a period of unraveling in your faith and deconstruction, you know that you don't just hit the reboot button and go back to everything being okay. And every, just being able to accept all the answers whole cloth and being able to do all the things. Harmony is something else. Harmony is a place where, in some ways, the cynicism that accompanies you through perplexity, you begin to figure out what to do with it. And maybe the cynicism isn't the driving force anymore. Um, I had an experience of this recently. I, I don't live in harmony all of the time. I don't know, maybe all of you do, and I'm the only one. But I don't live in harmony all the time. But I had an experience of harmony. Does that make sense? Like a glimpse, you know, sort of at the end of the story of Moses where he doesn't go into the promised land, but he peeks over. Um, it was one of those sort of peeking over moments. We were at a uh, concert at the Ryman. It was a country concert. I've been a country fan since I was, you know, brought into the world. That, that was just sort of something we listened to a lot, especially with my mom. And her, in my mom's car, it was, it was a lot of country or something. Southern Gospel, and my dad's car, it was like 70s rock, right? So I had this, and when they were together, it was air supply. It was a really weird experience <laughs> as a kid. Um, but we're, I, I, I really, I love country music, right? Like, I'm, of course, I'm in Nashville, so I love country music. Um, but I've always had, a, especially as my faith has shifted, sometimes the theology of country music is, 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 is tough. Uh, you, you ever heard a song and you're like, What? Like, stick to dogs and trucks and bars. Like, don't, like, let's not get into the theology because sometimes it's rough. And we're at this concert and it was an artist we really liked and the concert was going well. And then she introduces this song that she wrote after a friend, a dear friend of hers and colleague passed away at a young age. And she's singing the song. And the song's about essentially, when I get to heaven, you're going to show me around. 
And there was this point, there was a point in my own process not too long ago when I would have been in the room for that and I would have rolled my eyes so hard they would have fallen out of my head because I would have thought this language doesn't work for me. It doesn't make sense to me. It's not how I think about the afterlife in the same way anymore. But there was this moment when she started singing the song and it really just felt beautifully like I was remembering people in my life that I've lost and in some ways just that moment made them present to me in a way that they hadn't been present to me in a long time. And it was sort of like they were there and she's singing this song that theologically I, I would want to poke some holes in, but I didn't feel the need to poke holes in it. I just felt the need to sit in it and be present to the experience. Does that, does that make sense? I, I think that's what, I hope that's what harmony is. Um, because there's this, there's this impulse in me to want to just tear it all down. But sometimes in harmony, you realize, maybe I'm not going to tear that all down because maybe it's working really well for somebody else, but I'm going to try to enter into the experience in whatever way I can and, and see how it can mediate for me some sort of experience of something beyond me. Um, and I hope that's what harmony is. And I hope to have more experiences like that. When I grow up, I want to live in harmony all the time. But until then, little glimpses are, are kind of beautiful. And today we're going to look at the word, Yes. Isn't that a great word? I mean, there's a lot of context where here, like, there's a lot of context where you, depending on the question, hearing the word yes is a game changer. Now, if you ask the question, like, am I an idiot? And somebody says yes, that's not a good use of the word yes. But if it's, if you're asking, if you're in need of something, if you are, uh, if you are popping some big question to somebody, hearing the word yes can transform and change your life. And so I want to talk about saying yes and what that means as a part of the harmony experience of the spiritual life. And what's interesting is if you go through the stories of the Bible, you'll find that often the, the big game-changing moments that happen in Scripture happen when somebody says yes to a thing. Right? If you go all the way back early in the Bible to Genesis chapter 12, there's this guy named Abram who later becomes Abraham and he has many children and all of that. And Abraham's experience and his story begins with this sense of, of calling, of invitation, this sense of restlessness where he is told, leave where you're at, leave your father's household, leave the world you know, and go to this other place that you don't know. And Abraham says yes. And Abraham's yes is transformative for humanity, right? Abraham's yes to that invitation into mystery, not into certainty. He's not given, like, he's not given ways and he doesn't type in the address and he, and he knows where all the police are so he can, like, he can go faster on his donkey, right? Like, that's not, that's not how this works. He's wandering into the mist. He's wandering into uncertainty. And Abraham's yes is transformative for human history. Um, then you talk about people like Moses, right? Abraham's descendants are enslaved in Egypt and God is searching for a liberator. And he invites, when he invites Moses who is standing barefoot on holy ground in front of a burning bush. He invites Moses to become the liberator. And Moses has a million reasons why he is not the right person for the job. And yet at some point, Moses gives a yes and that yes leads to an exodus. That yes leads to a liberation. That yes of Moses becomes the foundational story of the Bible. And actually that yes of Moses that leads to liberation becomes the foundational understanding of what the word salvation means in the Bible. Because in the Bible, salvation does not mean being transported to some other realm when you die. Salvation means liberation, freedom, and wholeness in the present. 
in the story of Moses. Moses, yes, at that burning bush moment in his life is transformative. Come to a person like Isaiah the prophet. I don't know if you've read. We're gonna, Isaiah is where we're going to spend our time during the Advent season, by the way. Um, and Isaiah the prophet has this moment where he's doing his, his tasks in the temple, and he has this vision of God, and God is inviting Isaiah to join God in what God is doing. God's like, I've got a message people need to hear. It's a message of justice. It's a mes- message calling people to become the best versions of themselves. Isaiah, I'm looking for somebody. Who, who will partner with me and go tell this message to the people in power? Who will go speak truth to power with me? And Isaiah's looking around, and he's like, here I am. I'll go. And Isaiah's yes is transformative. And Isaiah's yes actually ends up becoming in some beautiful way how Christians begin to understand the story of Jesus, who, speaking of, had lots of yes moments in his own life, but none more foundational and transformative than the yes Jesus experiences at baptism. If you've read that story in the Gospels, you know, Jesus comes to the desert where his, uh, this John the Baptist, who's kind of a wild character, is out baptizing people in sort of an act of protest. And Jesus is baptized. And after his baptism, he has this moment where the skies seem to roll back and a dove descends on him. And he hears this voice from the divine say, you are my beloved son with you. In you, I find happiness. And it's sort of that, that yes for Jesus that understanding of I have some work to do in the world. I have been given a task. I've been given an opportunity. I've been invited to join God in a certain thing. That yes for Jesus, um, for, for those of us who follow him, for Christians, was a transformative yes. All throughout the Bible, page after page after page, are people saying yes. Yes to a task that is bigger than they are. Yes to an opportunity that isn't really clear sometimes, that isn't super certain, that that is inviting them into mystery. And yet, yes after yes after yes, that collective yes ends up changing everything. And so I want to think about what yes might mean. And I want to begin with this. Yes is ultimately about openness and possibility. Like when you say yes to something, it's, it's about possibility, right? How many of you have ever said yes to a new job? Do you say yes to a new job thinking that this is a pretty big dead end that I'm going to hate? I don't think anybody ever takes a new job going, this is, I'm going to be miserable in six months. Yes. Like sign me up for misery. Nobody's doing that. Have you ever said yes to a relationship or to a friendship or to some sort of opportunity? And, and you say yes. And when you say yes, it is full of what this could be. We do, we do not say yes to dead ends. We say yes to things in front of us, to opportunities that seem to be full of promise and potential that seem to invite us into whatever might be. Yes is about something new happening. And, and what makes some of the stories in the Bible, like the story of Abraham, who says yes, and when he's invited to go into the mystery, what makes that so transformative? Some scholars say that this is really kind of an interesting moment in human history with the Abraham story, because people had tended to just see history and human life as being an endless, like tomorrow is an endless repeat of today. We live in this loop where nothing changes. You are born, you live, you live, maybe you're happy, maybe you're miserable and you die and you're born and you live and you're miserable and you die, right? Like that's, that's sort of, it's just an endless. Tomorrow is an endless repetition of today. Uh, how many of you love the movie Groundhog Day with Bill Murray? Yes. 
Yes. Say yes to Groundhog Day with Bill Murray. Um, fantastic. And what's, what's great about that movie is like every day when that, uh, the Sonny and Cher song comes on, you're just like, again, it's an endless loop. And the, the sense was that even though the days change, that, that really who you are doesn't change and your family situation and, and where you come from, doesn't. it's just all an endless loop of today bleeding into tomorrow. And the Abraham story sort of emerges and says, what if you can disrupt the loop? What if your tomorrow doesn't have to be just an endless repetition of today's? What if the mistakes you made yesterday don't have to determine and define who you are endlessly in your life? What if yesterday isn't determinative for tomorrow for you? And yes is often about saying, I see a possibility and I'm going to maybe with some fear, yet mixed with some courage, I'm going to say yes to something that creates an opportunity of possibility that did not exist before. Because possibility is what we're all looking for in so many ways. Like the idea that there's something out there to be learned, experienced, engaged, that there's a path for us that isn't just an endless loop, that something else, something good, something beautiful, something true could disrupt the ordinary everyday sense of our lives and something else could happen. Because we don't sign up. Like nobody, I don't know anybody who, I know people who like routine. I, you know, I kind of like a little bit of routine, right? Routine's great. But I, I also think that if I had the same routine every day, always, forever, I might lose it a little bit. Right? I'll do this thing where uh, I will find something I like at a restaurant and I'll go there and eat it every single time until I cannot stand it anymore. Does anybody else do this? It's like every time there's the whole menu and I'm going to eat the same, but eventually I'm like, I need to say yes to possibility. I no longer want the orange chicken, right? Like I need to move beyond where I've been into new territories that have not yet been discovered, new flavors that I have not yet experienced. There's, there's a certain comfort to that, to that normalcy, but then there are moments when we desperately want that disrupted because we need something new, something fresh that could change everything. And yes, in the stories of the Bible, always yes comes back to that. Something else is possible. We do not have to be trapped in yesterday. We can say yes to something else. Yes, I think is also about knowing what is ours to do. Uh, Yes is knowing what's in front of us and what we've been given. That's why no is important too, right? Because, because no helps us also know what is ours to do. Does anybody else struggle with imposter syndrome? Thank you. Um, I, I don't know if I've actually mentioned this from the stage, but I just uh, finished writing my first book. Thank you. That is the correct response. Um, uh, and in a self-serving fashion, it's available for pre-order if you'd like to do that. Um, but I just finished writing my first book. It's been a dream of mine to get to write a book. Ever since I was a little kid, I wanted to write. So the only, like the only academic discipline I was decent at at school was, learn, was writing. I actually got a D on a math project once because the writing was so good and the math was all wrong. Like they, they passed me because the writing, <laughs> love writing, it's been a dream of mine. Um, and as part of the book thing, I wrote a book and there's other stuff around it and we filmed a video, a video series. And so I went in to do the video series to film it and we go through and we spend like a whole day and I talk for like what seemed like eight hours and we get done and my editor comes over to me as I'm getting ready to leave the studio and she's like, well, how do you feel? Do you feel like a real author now? 
I said, God, no, I feel like the biggest imposter the world has ever known is what I feel like. Like, who am I to do that? Who am I to say a thing? Who, who am I to be the person to do the thing, to say the thing, to suggest the thing, to lead the thing, to do the thing? Who, who am I? And it, it's sort of, I think this is true for most people. I think it's like my theory of becoming an adult. When I was a kid, I would look at adults and they just seemed to have it all together and know what being an adult meant. And now that I am one, I'm like, they had no idea. <laughs> so if you're here and you're emerging into adulthood and you're like, I just can't wait to have it all together like all those adults, it's all smoke and mirrors. <laughs> Nobody has it all together. We don't know what it means to be an adult. We're all pretending. Some of us better than others, but we're all pretending. But I think most people, if you get them in the stillness and the quiet of their own sort of consciousness, I bet there's in most of us this sort of like, who am I? I'm not as gifted as that person. I'm not as funny or talented as that person. I'm not as good a whatever as that person. There are all sorts of people who are better than me, more gifted than me, more qualified than me, whatever, to do the thing. Who am I to do the thing? And actually, we're firmly in the sandals of Moses on that one, right? where Moses is standing before a burning bush and God's like, I'm gonna send you to liberate some folks. He's like, look, I'm not, I'm not a good talker. It's not a thing I do well. Um, I just kinda don't wanna do it <laughs> because I just think there are better people for the job. Uh, yeah, yeah, Moses was there. I think most of us are there. And when we're doing the thing, there's this loop that's going on in our head, in our head going, if people really knew you, Nobody would pre-order your book, man. <laughs> Nobody would take your class. Nobody would want to, to hire you as a consultant. Whatever the thing you do in the world is, I bet that's in your head. And, and yes is about learning that there are some things I have to do, some things that you have been given to do in the world. Some things that actually nobody else can do just like you can do them because you are your own unique mix of human. Actually, nobody may say the thing like you would say the thing or write the thing or teach the thing or do the thing like you would do the thing. There's something about you and your unique gifts and abilities and the, the mix and the makeup that makes you, you. Um, there's something about you. And so who aren't you to do the thing? And, and maybe that's what yes gives us. Like yes gives us, okay, yeah, there may be a bunch of other people who are more whatever than I am, but I have been invited to do this thing. Like I wonder if that's the, in the Moses story, if that's just finally where he arrived. Like, yeah, there's people who'd be better at this, but nobody else is talking to a burning bush right now. <laughs> so it might as well be me. Yes is about knowing what is ours to do. It's about knowing that we have been given opportunity, we have been given gifts, abilities, talents, curiosities, innovations. We, we have been given some things that are deeply, deeply bound up inside of us that the world needs to hear, to experience, to see. The prophet Jeremiah actually described this message that God had given him as being a fire trapped in his bones and he was weary of holding it in. I don't know if you've ever had that experience. Like there's a thing I need to do and if I don't do it, I might just self-combust. If I don't give the gift, if I don't do the thing, then I might just implode on myself. And, and then finally, I think yes is actually about no. We talked about no a, a few weeks ago, and we talked about no as being sort of setting the boundary, no as, as being able to say, I, I'm not going to do that. That is not my thing. And actually, that is deeply 
tied to yes. I was at a conference in 2007, I think, in Grand Rapids, Michigan, at um, the church Rob Bell had started. And Rob was giving a talk, and he had this one line that when he said it, it completely blew my mind, and I wrote it down, and I think about it all the time, still all this time later. But he said, one yes is a thousand no's. One yes is a thousand no's. And, which means like when you say yes to something, you're also saying no to a bunch of other stuff. Right? When you say, when you say yes, like, like for example, one of, the, one of the things I have prioritized at this point in our family's life is I am going to do everything in my power not to miss a basketball game that my oldest kid plays in. I am now a full-time basketball dad. And it is tough, and I'm, it, the schedules are wonky sometimes and figuring out how to be there, and I postponed a trip for a day so I could be at this game, and yeah, I'm going to do all that because I'm saying yes to that, which means if I say yes to that, I'm saying no to other opportunities. If, if I'm saying yes to this particular thing I'm being invited into, then I'm saying no to all the things that could distract from the yes. Because yes is ultimately about priorities. It's about focus. It's about knowing that this is mine to do, and if this is mine to do, then there are a bunch of other things that I could do that would be fun, that would be interesting, a bunch of other things that could be really, really cool, but I'm saying yes to this thing, which means that this is where my intention and focus and engagement primarily lies. Yes is a clarifying answer to a question. Yes is deciding something about where your energy is going to be spent about who you're going to be in the world. Yes is kind of deciding beforehand what matters and who matters and then sticking with it. I think Jesus's life is this beautiful example of yes. Even in the moments where Jesus wanted desperately probably to not say yes, right? You think about after Jesus' baptism, he has this experience of going into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights where he's tempted um, and he's been fasting um, for 40 days and 40 nights, and the tempter comes to him and extends these temptations. And they're all temptations to do the Messiah thing, uh, but not in the way Jesus is going to do the Messiah thing. Imagine if, you could be, imagine if you could be the Messiah without suffering. Imagine, actually, if you could be the Messiah and you get power by making your enemies suffer. So just bow down, and I'll give you the kingdoms of the world. Grab a sword, let's get this done. And Jesus is yes to this vision of the kingdom of God, this nonviolent, compassionate, ever boundary expanding kingdom of God, this kingdom that was not far away for Jesus, but that was right here and could be entered into and experienced now if we just had the vision and the courage to implement it. If we just had the courage to love our neighbor and our enemy, that that vision Jesus said yes to meant that he said no to all those other opportunities to do it differently. And then at the end of Jesus' life, when he's praying in Gethsemane and he's agonizing over this cup he's about to drink because there's another way this goes down. We can grab a sword. We can start killing Romans. But his yes to this vision of the kingdom of God has so transformed him that he has to say no to all the other things. I think about this in terms of our community here at Grace Point. We've said yes to some things, which means we've said no to some other things. Um, people ask me, do you think that progressive churches could ever, will ever be, do you think Grace Point will ever be a mega church? I'm like, that makes me feel like I probably need to take a shower uh, a little bit. Um, and my answer is like, I want our church to be sustainable. I want our church to reach and provide a safe place for as many people as that need it. But I never want us to compromise our values to make that happen. 
I always want our values to be centered on loving human beings, on seeing and affirming human beings, on making sure every human being knows that they belong and that they're beloved. And sometimes that means also on the other sort of side of the coin, that means drawing some really clear boundaries about what we'll do and what we won't do because we're going to protect the people who have entrusted us with their care, right? And, and every yes that we as a community give brings with it a bunch of no's. And they're no's that are actually pretty sacred because they define, and something about our no's and our yeses define who we end up being as a community. And one yes is a thousand no's. And ultimately, yes is that clarifier that says, yeah, I, I know what things are mine to do in the world. Learning that for me, like learning the things I'm decent at in the world and the things that actually you don't want me to have my hands in has been super helpful for me. Because, I, you know, as a pastor, people sort of end up expecting you, like my entire ministry, they sort of end up expecting you to be the best at everything. Like you're supposed to be a really great communicator and a Fortune 500 CEO and just always know the right thing to say. And being able to go, no, I, I'm good at like maybe, maybe one thing, maybe two things. That's the things I do in the world. And there are other people who do other things in the world. For me, has been so clarifying, knowing what to say yes to and then knowing what to say no to. And I, I bet as we gather in this room online, that sometimes we struggle with this. I do. I don't like to disappoint people. Anybody here like to disappoint people? Because if you're doing like a master class, I'd like to learn it. Uh, because I struggle to the point of what I'll end up doing sometimes is disappointing other people by trying not to disappoint some people. Does that make sense? Like I'll end up disappointing the people that, that I deeply care about because I'm trying to like not disappoint somebody. Not that I don't care about them. This is going in a direction I didn't intend. Uh, But you you get what I'm saying, right? Like I'll end up disappointing somebody who's sort of an outlier in my life in order, or somebody who's close to me in order to not disappoint somebody who's an outlier in my life. Um, And so I struggle with that. I, I don't want to disappoint anybody. I just want everybody to think that I'm just the nicest guy who never disappoints anybody. That's what I wanted to say on my tombstone. But the reality is that's not possible. Now, I've learned that through hurting people's feelings that I care about, through not saying no to something when I, uh, because I've already said yes to something else. And, and so I wonder for us in this room online, are there some things that we're wrestling with that we need to say yes to? Are there opportunities? Are there people, a community? Is there a way of being in the world? Is there a decision you're wrestling with? And deep down, you know that you want to say yes because it could be transformative for you and everybody around you. And yet you know that that yes brings with it a bunch of no's and you're trying to count the cost on what that looks like. Yeah, I get it. I'm right there with you. One yes is a thousand no's and saying no sometimes is really, really hard. But just like Abraham sort of standing on the edge of mystery, like Moses barefoot in front of a burning bush, like Isaiah standing in sort of this smoke-filled temple room saying, okay, send me. Like Jesus coming up out of the waters of baptism, knowing that he has been given not only a task, but a way to carry out the task that is going to look very different and be deeply misunderstood. Like all of them, we stand in our own moments wrestling with what our yeses might be and then what no's might come from them. And so maybe we just take a moment today and just kind of acknowledge that 
that we are always on holy ground, right? The, 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 the bush burning didn't make the ground holy. The ground had always been holy. Maybe the bush had always been burning. Maybe there was always this invitation that people were passing by and missing again and again and again. And you're having your own sort of moment processing. What are you being invited to say yes to? What opportunity, what task, what work, what people, what things are you being invited to say yes to? And then as a corollary, what no's do you have to stand by? Because one yes is a thousand no's. So let's do this. Let's just, um, I want to pray, but I want to just give us a second because I don't know what your, I don't know what your life is like right now, but you know, this, I, I love this time of year and look forward to it until I get into it and remember how unbelievably busy it is. Anybody else just exhausted? Yeah, it's, that's why like in these moments, it's really important to know what your yeses are, right? Because sometimes you're gonna be flying at a thousand miles an hour and you're not gonna have time to do the whole pros and cons list. <laughs> but sometimes having an instinctive, I've said a yes, which means I have to say a no is helpful. So let's just, let's just pause for a moment, put your feet on the ground. Um, and just kind of be in the moment. Allow yourself to feel the ground beneath you that um, we don't think about all the time, but that is supporting us, that is holding us up, that is always there to catch us, sometimes not so gently uh, when we meet it. And I want to invite you to think right now about what it is that you're being invited to respond to. What opportunity, what people, what experience, what work, what task. And my guess is that for you like me, there is this imposter syndrome, this voice in your head that says, who the heck am I to do that, say that, be that? If you're like me, you probably feel like a lot of the time you're a little kid putting on an adult pair of shoes, just pretending to walk around in them. And yet, perhaps you're being invited into that opportunity experience. You're being asked to give that yes because you have something that people have seen in you that is beautiful, healing, transformative, because somebody somewhere has seen in you and are affirming in you something good. So may we all know in this moment that we are enough. May we know in this moment that saying yes and saying no are sacred and they are ours to do. May we know that it's okay to respond, who who aren't I to do that? That humility is a gift, but self-degradation is not. And so, God, we invite you to meet us as you're already here. So maybe we're inviting us to meet you. Give us wisdom, give us courage. May we know who we are. May we know what to say yes to and in turn what to say no to.